0: Hey, Crime sad listeners. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. Hey, so we'll make this quick for you this week. Our patron this week is Danielle. Thank you so much, Danielle, for supporting our podcast.
1: There wasn't a lot of time in between episodes this week.
0: No, it was a very short week.
1: <laughs> this is like one day, one day patron.
0: <laughs> but thank you. And also, guys, if the ads are getting in the way of your true crime binge, we just wanted to remind you, you do have the option of ad free listening. If you join any tier of our Patreon,
1: baby's got to eat.
0: Yep. And uh, we have tiers um, as low as one dollar. So it really supports us. It's just a cool way of you guys getting ad free listens. Yep. So
1: we only have two tiers right now. We have the one dollar tier, three dollar tier. Uh, $1, you get ad-free and a, a couple other things. Uh, $3, you actually get 26 episodes that are no longer available. I know nobody likes listening to ads, but it really helps our show. You know, it's one of those things where if, you know, you're not able to give a dollar, you're not able to give three, or you just don't want to, you know, listening to an ad taking, you know, two minutes out of the show Really, really helps our show, you know, support our sponsors. That's how you can directly support us.
0: And sometimes you get a cool promo with some of those, too.
1: Plus, baby's got to eat.
0: Ba- baby's got to eat. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into this week's episode. On the day after her 52nd birthday, Emily Noble's husband, Matthew Moore, called the police to report that his wife had gone missing. For months, Emily's friends and family searched high and low for her in her hometown in Westerville, Ohio. But when her body was suddenly found, months after her disappearance, hanging in a tree just behind her home, all eyes quickly turned to her husband. As a warning, this episode contains explicit description of a staged suicide and other frequent mentions of suicide. Selfless, caring, and strong are just a few of the words that Emily Noble's friends and family would have used to describe her. In fact, it seems as if no one in Westerville, Ohio had anything negative to say about Emily, or M as she was often called. Located right in the middle of Ohio, Westerville is home to a little over 35,000 people, Otterbein University, and was once known as the dry capital of the world. In fact, up until 2004, Westerville was one of the last remaining cities who still prohibited the sale of alcohol. This was in part due to Westerville being home to the Anti-Saloon League, a group that spearheaded the prohibition movements in the beginning of the 20th century. Born in 1968, M had spent most of her life in Westerville, where she had worked at a Medicaid office. While she had worked there for over a decade, she had a real passion for photography, nature, and people. She loved to be outside and would frequently take walks to see the sunrise, hike wooded trails, and photograph all of the beautiful landscapes she saw. As an adult, Emily moved around a bit, but always stayed in the Westerville area. She spent some time living in the continent, an apartment complex that was at the time when she was living there, having a small raffle every month where a tenant could win some money. When Emily won, she gave away the money to someone she thought needed it more even when her friends thought she could use it. For Em, she was all about helping others. She would check in with folks, even when she didn't know them well, to make sure that they were doing okay and to see if she could help them. Emily was incredibly kind-hearted and outgoing, which led her to being quick to make friends. Because she was so open and full of love, it wasn't hard for anyone to love her back. Emily was married twice in her life. Her first husband was Mark Farmalo, a rock and roller who went by the stage name Lupus. He played for two pop bands, Pica Huss and Ethno Mark and Emily got along great, and by all accounts, he was the love of her life. However, he unexpectedly committed suicide in the fall of 2011, and Emily was understandably beyond devastated. For years, she mourned the loss of her first husband. She moved out of their shared apartment and into a new home, trying her best to cope with Mark's death. After several years, Em finally felt like it was time to try and date again. She created a profile on Plenty of Fish, an online dating site. It was through this website that she first began to talk with Matthew Moore. Matt was a few years younger than Emily and was living in Las Vegas when they met around 2016. Matt had been previously married, but had been divorced for the last 10 years. He and his ex-wife Lisa had remained amicable, though, since their separation. Like Emily, Matthew was no stranger to painful losses. His firstborn child had died very young, many years earlier, of unknown causes. For a couple years, Em and Matt's relationship was on and off again. Matt focused on caring for his youngest son, Joey, who was struggling in school and they lived in different states. But by 2018, things were going well and Matt moved to Westerville with Joey. Matt hoped that Joey could find a better education in Ohio and was ready to move his relationship with Em forward. In 2018, they surprised everyone by getting married at the courthouse during their lunch hours. Afterwards, Matt and Joey moved into Emily's condo near Uptown Westerville, just off the County Line Road. While she had no children of her own, Emily loved Joey dearly and treated him as if he was her own. Though Emily seemed quite taken with Matt, her friends were quite shocked by the relationship. Emily was a no-neat freak, while Matt always seemed a bit more grungy and unkept. After they were married, Matt became much more possessive over Emily, so much so that she became isolated from her friends. In the moments when the couple was together with Emily's friends, family, or coworkers, they often noticed that Matt would talk down to her and speak in a dominating manner. Once he moved in, Matt insisted that Emily take down the art she had put up in her condo, most of which were photographs she had taken herself. What people often found most strange though, was that he wore the wedding ring of Emily's first husband who had taken his own life. While they lived together, Matt did little to contribute to their shared living space, and Emily quickly became the primary caretaker for Joey. By 2019, after living in Ohio for a year or so, Joey wasn't doing much better in school, and he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Joey needed help beyond what Emily could provide, but Matt refused to get him any help at all. One of Matt's friends recalled that he had even said that he was done with Joey and that he was beyond help. In the summer of 2019, while Emily was out of town, she received a phone call from Matt. He told her that Joey had been found dead, hanging from a tree in the park. It was suicide. Now attempting to cope with the loss of two people she loved to suicide, Emily struggled with her grief, but she tried to stay positive as much as she could. Emily and Matt, more frequently, went out in Westerville to keep busy, and they spent some time hiking and foraging in nature. From the outside, some people believed the relationship was great, but others had their concerns about how happy Emily was in her marriage. Some even speculated that she was planning on leaving him.
1: On the night of May 24th, 20. M had a reason to laugh and be joyful. It was her 52nd birthday. Emily spent the day with Matt and they celebrated with dinner, drinks, and bar hopping. Given that the next day was Memorial Day and they both had the day off, Matt decided to sleep in. When he awoke around 10am the morning of the 25th, Emily wasn't in bed. It wasn't unlike her to get up before him. She loved to go on walks in the morning and get pictures of the sunrise, but she would always take her phone. Though she wasn't in the house, she had left her cell phone, wallet, keys, and her car was still parked in the driveway. Matt called around to a few of her friends, asking if anyone had seen or heard from his wife, but no one had. At the urging of her friends, Matt called the police to report that she was missing. In his report to the police, Matt told them that he had come home after a night out to celebrate her birthday and had gone to bed. During the middle of the night, he had gotten up to use the bathroom. And seeing that she was asleep, he decided to sleep in the guest room so that he wouldn't wake her. When he woke up the next morning, she was gone. There's big news from your favorite home security company. Simply Safe just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right, Simply Safe, the system that US News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. It has an ultra-wide 140-degree field of view, so you can keep watch over your entire yard. It has 1080p HD resolution with an 8x zoom. That means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. It has a built-in spotlight with color night vision, so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night. It's super simple to set up and usually just takes minutes, and it has an easy to remove rechargeable battery, so it doesn't need an outlet and can go anywhere on your property. This camera has it all, and it integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, window, and room are protected, and now your property will be too. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com/crimesalad. Simply Safe is offering 20% off your entire new system, and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in the interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com/crimesalad.
0: Having to go back out into the world has been an adjustment. I'm definitely not the most extroverted person and sometimes when I go to the store or take a walk, I just wanna block everything out around me and listen to music. My Raycons are great for getting rid of all of the unwanted background noise when I'm feeling a bit anxious. No matter how you're feeling about getting back out there, there's no denying it's an adjustment. When the world gets too loud, sometimes I just love to create my own soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. Sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump yourself up before you see people or stay calm with some guided meditation. Most mornings I start my day off with some music, I pop in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listen to my favorite playlist to get me motivated throughout the workday. And you can bet whenever I go to hit the gym in the next few weeks, I will be bringing my Raycons along with me. Let me tell you right now, Raycons are the best way to listen. They come with a bunch of gel tips for your comfort and unlike some other brands, they don't stick out of your ears. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, so you can listen to whatever you want, when you want, for a really long time. They start at half price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try. You'll see what I mean. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon right now. CrimeStyle listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash crimesalad. That's buyraycon.com slash crimesalad to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash crimesalad.
1: The search for M. Noble quickly took over all of Westerville. Police were treating her case as suspicious, believing her to be an endangered missing person. Though terrified of what could have happened, her family and friends remained hopeful that she was still alive somewhere. Investigators contacted all of her friends and family members, including those who lived outside of Ohio, to see if she was with them or knew anything at all. No one had heard from her. Using drones and sonar equipment, they searched the Hoover Reservoir, lakes and ponds, scanned all of the neighboring parks and woods, and searched in particular the trails and paths that Matt and Emily were known to forage and walk along. A reward of $10,000 was offered, and missing person signs went up all around the area, as search crews did their best to look for any scrap of clothing, upturned dirt, or out-of-ordinary sign that could help them determine where M had gone. But slowly, days turned into months, with no sign or tip that would help Emily's worried friends and family find her. From the early days of the investigation, Many noted that Emily's husband's behavior didn't match that of someone whose spouse was missing. Matt did little to help the investigation, beyond calling in the initial missing persons report at the request of the family and friends. In fact, he even made wild speculations about what he thought could have happened to her. And these speculations often changed. He claimed that she had been kidnapped, or that she had gone off to live with the Amish, something that didn't make sense with what they knew about her at all. In the search parties they organized, Matt hardly participated, according to Emily's family. Furthermore, beyond his initial call to the police, he refused to talk to any detectives during their investigation. And though he didn't want to talk to any investigators or participate in any of the search parties, Matt decided to go on to a podcast that was working on an episode dedicated to Emily. In June of 2020, Matt went on to The Vanished Podcast, a weekly podcast that focuses on stories and circumstances of missing people. It seems that it was Matt himself who reached out to have Emily's case featured. The Vanish Podcast frequently interviews the family members of missing persons, And so the researchers and hosts typically expect those that they talk to to be working through grief and desperation, understandably so. But Matt's interview was anything but that. When asked to describe his wife, Matt had this to say, I never saw her get on a scale. She's very small, like 100 pounds, pretty legs and great arms. While Emily was petite, it seems quite odd to focus on her weight and appearance. All other interviews with those close to Emily focused on her loving nature, caring personality, and selfless behavior. As the interview continued, Matt struggled to keep up with important details. He said that she disappeared on Labor Day, when in fact she disappeared over Memorial Day weekend. Matt claimed that even though he hadn't joined in on any of the search efforts, he reached out to the podcast in the first place because he was just looking to find evidence. For many, this curious interview, in addition to his lack of cooperation with the investigation, seemed like a major sign that Matt might know more than he was letting on.
0: Finally, after 13 long weeks of searching, a discovery was made in a wooded area near Emily's home, a condo which Matt remained living in after her disappearance. This same area had been searched at least three times over the course of the summer, but hadn't turned up anything. On September 16th, a small search party returned to the area to find a deeply decaying body, one so decomposed that it was initially impossible to recognize gender or age the body was found near a tree with a black usb cord around its neck despite the heavy decomposition brown wavy hair could be seen and the body had on a black shirt a tank top pants and two purple black turquoise tennis shoes the body was so skeletonized that it weighed only 18 pounds Initially, police were reluctant to make any connection to Emily, given the body was found so decayed. But after an autopsy report and finding matching DNA and dental records, they were able to confirm that it was in fact the remains of Emily Noble. At the scene, it looked as if it could be a possible suicide with the black cord wrapped around her neck and a rope hanging from a nearby tree. But the autopsy report confirmed that there was no possible way that Emily had died by suicide. Multiple fractures were detected on her face and neck, indications that she had perhaps died by strangulation. Emily was first reported missing in May of 2020, and her body was found in September of the same year. But it wasn't until June of 2021, just a few months ago, that an arrest was made in her case. Matthew Moore, Emily's husband, was taken into custody. While it hasn't been made immediately clear what prompted police to arrest Matt, it was suggested that there was a link between Emily's body being found and an attempt to collect on life insurance. Early on in their marriage, Emily had given Matt power of attorney over her accounts, either by choice or coercion. Her friends weren't sure. When she disappeared, Matt wouldn't have been able to do much given that she had not been declared dead, only missing. So if he wanted to access her money and assets, Emily's body would have needed to be found. There was some speculation that Matt moved her body and staged it so that it was sure to be found. Furthermore, in addition to all of this strange behavior, it was learned after Emily was found that Matt had a history of violence. Lisa Peterson, Matt's first wife, told reporters that on New Year's Day in 2001, while they were in a period of separation, Matt had come over, gotten angry, and put his hands around her throat, choking her. A domestic violence report was filed against Matt, but it was later dropped in court. Though Lisa and Matt divorced soon after, they continued to talk even about Emily's disappearance once Lisa heard the news. While at first she made no connection to Matt being guilty, once she learned about the way that Emily's body was found, she began to have a gut feeling that he was involved. Lisa thought it was too coincidental that Emily to have died or to have her body staged in the same way as their son, Joey. Originally, Matt's trial was set to be on September 7th, but it had been postponed. A deferral was requested by the defense, reportedly because of the significant volume of evidence entered into discovery by the prosecution. The judge granted this request, and the trial will resume in February of 2022. Emily's family and friends believe that the evidence will speak for itself and that Matt deserves a fair trial. He is pleading not guilty to the charges. Bail was set at $2.5 million. Once the trial gets underway next year, we hope that we can learn more about how the police were able to narrow their search down to Matt, why he did such a horrendous thing to his wife, and Emily's friends and family can finally get some closure. Since there hasn't been a trial in this case yet, it's not wrapped up as clearly as one might hope. Though the evidence that has been publicly revealed is limited, the circumstantial evidence and anecdotes from Emily's friends and family about Matt make it hard to believe it could have been anyone else. He was the last person to see Emily alive, has no alibi for when she had gone missing, and has a motive in the form of the life insurance money. It will be interesting to see what other evidence comes to light during the trial. But all we can hope for is that justice will be served for Emily. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week.
1: Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.